that's what makes music special. That's what makes all art you know, special. That's why the Beatles existed in the 60s and they don't exist now because that was a totally different time with different influences and different moments. You know what I mean? Like it's it's every like every part about this moment and the human experience works its way into the music being created right now. And that's the unpredictable element that you can't just, you know, templatize, you know. Welcome to Long Live the Music. A podcast from It's All Dead, made by music fans, for music fans. I'm Kyle Hawk. Welcome to Long Live the Music. I'm Kyle Hawk, Editor-in-Chief at itsalldead.com. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Really excited to have you here. We got a good one. We're going to be joined by Cole Kushner, host of Dissect. And uh, you may remember back in 2017, Cole joined us on the show for the first time back when he was uh, in the midst of season two of Dissect, as that show was really taken off. We talked all things Kanye and uh, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. I think he came back a year later and we talked about Frank Ocean, Lauren Hill, and some other things. But um, Cole has been a, a, a great uh, friend of the podcast. I'm excited to have him back on because he just wrapped up season eight of Dissect, which we're going to talk about briefly, where he covered Yeezus. Uh, it was really interesting to kind of hear him come back around to Kanye and dive into an album that um, I, along with him, think that uh, is probably Kanye's best. Although, um, I was hesitant going into the season just because of like all of Kanye's work. I feel like it's the one that's hardest to go back into given um, recent events and everything that we've seen from Kanye over the past few years. I actually wrote an article about Yeezus back uh, when it came out that kind of talked about this blurring of the lines between Kanye the character and Kanye the person. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly I, I wasn't a detractor of Yeezus at the time, but it was something of like, this feels like an album where we should like be paying attention to like, uh, where Kanye might be going um, almost in a sense of like, sh should we be concerned here in terms of like, are we going in a problematic direction? And I, you know, maybe I was unfair of, in my criticism at the time, although in hindsight, it's, it's not hard to kind of connect the dots, but I think one of the things that Cole did with this recent season is he really did a great job of uh, just really digging into the narrative um, around Jesus and exploring that. Um, I, I think he did a really great job of like bringing out some really interesting and valuable thoughts and talking points around that album. We're going to talk about that briefly, but then we're going to spend a lot of time talking about a new show that he just launched called Keynotes. It's an interactive music show that combines full songs with original musical and lyrical analysis. If you like Dissect, uh, you're going to like Keynotes. It's a really great show where he's basically sharing like three or four different songs and then kind of like tying the threads together of how these songs um, kind of all share a common theme. And we're going to talk about that and a whole lot more. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Without further ado, here's Cole Kushner, host of Dissect and the new Keynotes podcast. Of all of the guests that we have on the show, the, the one that I get asked about the most of like, hey, when are you going to have this person back on? Uh, it's Cole Kushner. I'm not just saying that because he's here. So for all of you folks out there who listen uh, and are always asking for Cole to come back on the show, he's here. Cole, welcome. What up? How are uh, how are things out in the uh, uh, Pacific direction this summer? Hot as hell. Uh, it's <laughs> like 100 degrees outside literally right now. I live in Sacramento, so we get the dry heat. Um, but yeah, it's fine though. We get no rain and, and all heat. Yeah, I... You know, I don't think we've ever talked about this, but we, we talk about it a lot on this show of like the seasonality of music. Do you, I, I mean, you, you think of music in so many different ways and investigate it in so many different ways. Do you have like certain seasonal albums? I like guess, does summertime bring a certain collection of albums for you that you 
just want to dive into that time of year? Um, maybe the extremes like hot and you know hot and cold. I might switch it up. For me, it's always it's daytime, nighttime is the big one. Interesting. Um, there's certain albums that I'll, I'll only listen to at night. Like for instance, Kid A, Radiohead, Kid A's a nighttime album for me. Yeah. I just I can't put it on during the day for some reason. And the same with like Counting Crows is like my go-to road trip. Uh, and I think of just like daytime energy with, with that band. So yeah, I, I think for me, it's mostly night and day. Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. And the minute you said Kid A, my mind immediately went to nighttime. So yeah, uh, I think you uh, got a good handle on that. And we're going to talk about, uh, going to bring up Radiohead here in a little bit because you finally got to talk about them. I know it's one yeah. of your favorite bands on the, on the new Keynotes podcast. We're going to get into that. Real quickly, though, I uh, want to talk about you, you just wrapped up the latest season of Dissect. Uh, you dissected Yeezus, an album which I feel like people have been asking you to dissect since you have started talking on a microphone. I could be wrong about that, but I, I feel like, am I wrong that, that that's the album that you probably got bombarded with the most of people asking for? Um, it kind of changes uh, kind of every given year. It seems that one always pops up. I, for Kanye, it was always actually Life of Pablo. Um, that was, Interesting. I would say, on par with Yeezus. I mean, Yeezus definitely got a lot of requests, but I would say right now, Pablo's the one from Kanye people seem to be wanting. But for me, Yeezus is, I've been dying to talk about that album. It's my favorite Kanye album. It's one of my favorite all, you know albums of all time by any artist. So I don't know. It seems like Dissect has now become one for me, one for you, where it's like I'll do one that <laughs> the audience really requests, and then the next one I'll just do one that I really want to do because that's how I started the show. So yeah. that's kind of what it's turned into. Um, but yeah, I, had a, I mean, Yeezus is an incredible album, so I was really happy to talk about it. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Um, you know, when you came on uh, this podcast the first time, it was in the middle of the season you were doing on my beautiful dark twist of fantasy i think yeah. around 2017 and you know the podcast was taken off things with kanye started to get weird <laughs> like weird in a different way towards the end of that season and so yeezus is a really interesting album to like okay it's 2021 now we're going to talk about this one um and i've got a lot of thoughts on that that i'll, I'll get into but i, I want to start just by laying it out for you i mean was it harder this time to dissect a Kanye album, specifically an album like Yeezus? Or did you just kind of have the same mental approach to it and you didn't really have any hurdles to get over? Yeah, I didn't have any hurdles to get over. Um, the off, you, could, you know, in basketball, you say off off the court stuff um, is separate to me from on the court. So it's, you know, music and personal life and personal opinions is kind of easy for me to separate. And that might kind of come from studying like classical music where you're like, all right, let's let's talk about Wagner, one of the most important, com you know, composers of the 20th century, redefined opera, essentially made movies before their their movies. He was also like a rampant anti-Semite, and it's like, fuck, okay, that sucks. That's <laughs> yeah. really shitty. It's also really indicative of the time that he lived in. But it's like, do you just? It brings up kind of a philosophical question where it's like, okay, do you ignore the output of people with problematic personal opinions or there's some that just are so huge that you you know you have to like separate the two so and i know that's kind of a personal choice everyone is forced to make uh with kanye i mean i don't think it's as extreme as as a wagner but yeah i mean i didn't exactly agree with some of the stuff he was doing um you know during the i guess what year was that 20 was it was 2020 i guess or no it was 2019 was it 2019 when he, yeah the red hat stuff yeah i mean no and 
then you got to you could factor in like the mental health stuff and it's like it's a whole complicated mess of stuff that i didn't even really touch and in my eyes you know jesus came out in 2013 before all this stuff happened so to put the future on a work that happened five years before that it didn't really make sense to me like to, to try to balance out like going you know back and forth like that so i just you know and i worked with uh, two guys from a podcast called watching the throne who co-wrote the season yep. for me and we just um we just honed in on the album you know and that's what i do on dissect anyway is just what is what is the music conveying and just really stick to that what bring in outside stuff when it when it matters when it's relevant like we talked a lot about his struggle to get into the fashion industry at that time mm -hmm. and how that fueled the aggression on the album and stuff so we do bring in like real world elements when it's necessary but again like jesus existed in 2013 that stuff happened five you know six years later so it was easy for me to separate it it was you know i didn't have a problem with that sure and i mean you know you did a great job i think kind of constructing uh, the arc, uh, the narrative arc of that album and just kind of like following that path with it. The the thing that I thought about or that was on my mind most of the time as I even as I was listening to the season, which again, by the way, was was fantastic. I most of the things that I write or I podcast about, I, I find that they don't necessarily age well. <laughs> I always yeah. read back on my old work and I'm like, ah, that I missed it. <laughs> I should have should have done better. Um, when Jesus came out, I was I, I wrote this article at the time there was like this really weird reaction to the album. Uh, I think there was like a fan reaction and like a journalist reaction. The journalist reaction was one of like, wow, what what an amazing piece of art. And that, that's oversimplifying it because I know there were detractors. But one of the things that I wrote about and I went back and read this article was this idea of like, okay, we're reaching this point where Kanye the character amidst his art and Kanye the person the lines are so blurred at this point that it's like, I, I was basically raising the question of like, at what point do we have a concern about what this like might mean and doing a bad job explaining this here. But the, the point was I looking back on it, I found, I, I guess I felt like there were a lot of things within Jesus, which by the way, I think I, I agree with you. I do think it's his best album. There were a lot of things within it in which it was so hard for me, even at the time. And it's even harder for me now to take, myself out of like okay this is like a narrative hero's journey like story structure about a character but it's also kanye too it's like he is in yeah, so many ways the actual character for sure yeah and there's a lot to parse out and I, i'm saying all this to say like this is the time that we live in where we're trying to like figure this stuff out everybody kind of has their own lines in the sand i guess that they're willing to draw of like this is you know where i have to deal with this stuff with the you know with the artist versus where i won't but this album specifically i feel like of all of his work is the one that has the most that in hindsight is i guess hard to hard to grapple with you just mean in like terms of like controversial lyrics or something or yeah i think within the the lyrics and the and the story of the person and i, I and i want to say this and that Again, within that story, I think we can all find ourselves. I don't think it's like specific to Kanye, but there's a certain level of like Kanye, this character, the political stance, some of the things that are said that are just hard to reconcile after the fact. <laughs> you know, like the you talked about the civil rights sign line, you know, like that. And you, I think even in the show, you left it up of like, you know, let everybody kind of like figure out for themselves yeah, yeah, how you're yeah. going to feel about it. But th this stuff is here and, you know, you kind of, it's just there and you have to ad address it as best you can, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Kanye likes to provoke, you know, like he's never shied away from being a provocateur. I think that line specifically was one that he wanted to provoke. It was, a, you know, it was right. encased in a song that was extremely explicit in its sexual kind of innuendos and like just, you know, but for me, it's really hard to separate that from like the character and the the arc because even in like the live show, for instance, that the, so the line we're talking about comes from the song I'm in it. I'm in it's all about him indulging in, you know, this sexual night with this person. And it's like this huge low point in, in his life. It's like he's coming off like rejection from an ex-girlfriend on the previous song. So he essentially just goes to escape in this sex world of sex. And then specifically the civil rights line, it's like, two songs ago he was he, he is new slaves and he's like saying some real shit in that song and it's like right stuff you can't argue about with cca and like dea and like the you know government's involvement and in, in longer prison sentencing for you know black individuals and so it's like you, you, for me and for our co-writers it's like it's so hard to if you're talking about that on one song and then all of a sudden you're using the civil rights song in a you know in a sexual act how do you not then juxtapose those two things and say, okay, how did this character get from talking about some real shit to just essentially debasing himself and like using it as a crude metaphor about sex? It's like, yeah. And then comes like blood on the leaves right after that song, which is like this huge outpouring of emotion and like this guy's heartbroken and he's, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, I can see in a vacuum where you're like, okay, that line's, you know, problematic, but this is everything with Kanye. It's like, if you put it in context of like, I, th what we think he's trying to do, it's actually like really revealing. And I guess I, I mentioned the live show and it's like, you know, the visuals of the, of the Yeezus tour add so much to the story. And really that's what solidified like, okay, he was actually consciously trying to do this stuff on the album because on I'm in it, it's like, uh, he, you know, he says I'm in it and I can't get out. And he's literally in that point of the show, he's on the ground kind of like in this, like, he's like, like still, laying flat on his back, like almost like he's dead and he's surrounded by naked women, like literally enclose him in a circle. And he's saying, I can't, I'm in it and I can't get out. And it's like yeah. literally the low moment of, of the show. And I'm sorry, I'm rambling, rambling about this, but it's like to separate that, to just pull a line. And I, and I think this goes for a lot of artists, like to just pull one line out of context and say, this is a problem. I guess you can do that. But like, there's so much evidence that it's something else. And it's just because he said something doesn't mean it means what you think it means, if that makes sense. Like there, there yeah, might be course. something else. So it's like, that's where I get like really contextual, but I see like all this to say, like, if you want, if you have that opinion, that's totally fine. And I think it, it's justified, but at least where I'm coming from, it's like, it's really easy to just like look at things as characters and, and put them in the context of the work and not separate it from that at all. Right. Well, and that's, I mean, honestly, that's what makes Dissect such a great show is that you are able to do that so well. And all these things that do, as you were saying, kind of live in a vacuum in certain moments, you are able to contextualize those things in a really productive way that like brings more life out of the album. So really, this is me kind of like playing devil's advocate, I guess, but I, I, uh, I really appreciate and I going back to that episode you did on the live show, I'll be honest, like when I first knew that was coming i was like oh this I, I you know okay i guess this will add something but that episode really kind of like tied a whole lot together um in a way that just made the album and and everything that you put behind what he was doing with that story just way more robust so i 
you know, yeah, and, off I mean, and actually, yeah, in retrospect, that was, I think, my biggest regret of the season is not actually just incorporating that throughout the analysis. And, some, and somehow, I don't know how it would work, but because I, I feel exactly like you, because having seen that show and then going to like listening through Jesus, knowing that we're going to dissect it, that that it justifies so much seeing in the show because it's there's no it's not you can't deny that you know I can see that people being resistant to the fact that okay Jesus is this like planned out narrative structure with three acts and everything like that, but then you look at the Jesus show and it's clearly a story like there's literally five acts or, you know separated with clear markers on a projector screen that say what act each act is it you know he's you know wearing a mask he get he takes off the mask when he meets jesus and it's like it's a whole thing right and so but it's all based on off of jesus and so yeah again it's just it was it was a lot of justification for what was going on in the album the album is kind of like a truncated almost like rough draft of what the jesus tour became i think he kind of planted a lot of seeds in the jesus album that then were kind of developed in the Yeezus tour, which is why I'm so mad that, you know, Hype Williams actually filmed the Yeezus tour to put out a movie of it, official movie of it, yeah. which never came out, had a trailer, it looked awesome. Um, because that, that tour was so amazing. I wish more people right. got to see it. Um, cause it does, I really think it's one of the, you know, we never saw what the life of Pablo, I guess some people got to see the life of Pablo show, but that wasn't like a, you know, that was his last tour and it wasn't exactly a narrative. Jesus, I think, is the best representative of Kanye at his absolute artistic peak uh, in terms of yeah. music, story, you know, live performance. Um, it was a whole Broadway show, really. So, um, yeah, yeah to, to, to just to add to your point, yeah, I think having that as a justification almost was really nice. Yeah. Uh, well, great job on, on the new season. And I, one of the most exciting things coming out of the end of Dissect was that you had a, another podcast that you were going to be working on. And I, I think it immediately, just the concept of, of what you were doing with keynotes, the, just the mere idea of it was going to like, you know, strike a chord, so to speak, with people that are rabid followers of Dissect. Um, because it's much more granular in a sense of like these individual digestible episodes in which you're exploring um, different things. But I, I'm not I actually don't want to get in the way here. I don't want to trip it up for anybody that hasn't heard about keynotes. Can you give like the elevator pitch of, of what you're doing with that show? Yeah. So the premise of it is that it's a music and talk show. So on Spotify, you can now program full songs from the Spotify catalog into a podcast episode seamlessly. And it plays just like a regular stream. Mm -hmm. So the artist gets paid, whatever they get paid. And, and, but it, it goes from your original talk to a, a full song to back to your original talk. So it functions like a podcast episode, but you're, you get to include full songs in it. So, you know, I've seen it. I mean, that that technology right there was instantly appealing for someone like me, yep. um, where it doesn't quite work in the dissect format. But I was just like, well, I need to do something with this. It's just kind of calling my name. So, yeah, Keynotes is the idea I came up with, which essentially every um, every episode is uh, like a three to five song playlist, you're curated around a specific theme that I pick out. So for instance, the first episode is about, um, what gives, you know, if you've ever gotten chills when listening to music, like, why do we do you know, what, what's happening on a compositional level and what's happening, you know, scientifically in the brain to cause chills, this kind of, which is, you know, if you think about it, it's kind of really weird that humans are able to get, you know, 
chills from listening just by listening to something, right? Yeah. So I just, that was an interesting kind of theme. And so I talked to a neuroscientist on that episode and she kind of broke down the science. And then I went through some songs um, that, that are known to give chills and like really honed in on the exact moments and then like show you exactly why, what, what's going on on a musical level, like that, that is inducing chills. Um, but that's just one, you know, example, but, uh, you know, I just did an episode on Radiohead. The basic premise on that one was just, you know, why exactly is Radiohead so, you know, revered. I just break down some of the, you know, kind of genius stuff that they do musically. So each episode is going to be kind of different. We'll have a different theme. Um, and each, you know, three to five songs in that full songs in that episode will kind of convey that theme. Uh, and I kind of point out specific things, the key notes, so to speak, to listen for as right before you hear the track, I say, listen for this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, hopefully it changes the way you listen to songs that you've heard before or gives you a new, you know, gives you a new perspective on a song that you maybe didn't like or introduces you to new songs that you haven't heard before. Yeah. And quick nerd thing on that. I, so I typically listen to my podcasts uh, sped up a little bit um, with the exception of dissect because I want to hear the music like yeah, yeah. as, as it's actually played. But the cool thing about keynotes is that I was actually able to speed it up and then it goes back to normal when the song plays and yeah, then it yeah. speeds up again when you come back in. I don't know why I thought that I was so excited because I was like, oh my gosh, I can actually listen to this uh, in this way and not have to yeah. worry about like switching it when the song plays. But anyway, don't want to make this a commercial for Spotify, but they've uh, really done a fantastic job of, of figuring this stuff out. So I, I want to go back to the uh, the that first episode, the the chills episode, so to speak. You talked about speaking with a, a, a neuroscientist. The, the craziest thing, I when I listened to the episode, I felt like I was almost listening to a Malcolm Gladwell st- style show where mm. you, you were just so inquisitive w- with some of these things that you were trying to get to the bottom of. And you mentioned early on feeling in over your head as you were kind of reading up on terminology around the brain and how it reacts to things. Did you act? So you went into making this episode just out of curiosity, like straight up, like, I know I have an emotional reaction to songs, but there must be something more there to that. Was it just like that base level or did, did you already have like some sort of idea of where it might take you? Yeah. I mean, that one, it was interesting because I've been fascinated by that um, for a long time since I talked about it on season three, actually on a Frank Ocean episode. Uh, just there's this one part in this Frank Ocean song that always gave me chills. I'm like, okay, I've, I've gotten chills a lot listening to music, but I never actually thought about why. And so I did some like you know, preliminary research, basic research on that, you know, episode that that was three years ago or something, but I don't think I did a good enough job in terms of that wasn't the heart of that episode. And I just kind of skimmed over the basic points you can, you know, Google online. But then I was like, okay, I need to investigate this more. It's to me, it's just like one of those mysteries about music that, I mean, music is still such a mystery. I kind of dedicated my whole life to it, but it's still just, I just can't get over the fact that this is this non-tangible thing can literally run our lives. I mean, you're, you know, that, uh, probably just as well as anyone, like yeah. it, it affects us so much on an emotional level. It can motivate us to do things. It could, you know, make us feel better. It can make us feel worse. It's like, it could comfort us in this weird way. And it's just like, just trying to get more closer to like answering that essentially unanswerable question. And, you know, even Andrea, the, the neuroscientist said they love you know, scientists love studying the chills because it's actually something physical you can measure mm-hmm. where all these other things are a little bit harder to, to kind of get a grasp of. So, um, yeah, just started out with a basic curiosity of like, okay, what exactly is happening there? 
Um, but I was really fascinated in trying to pick out exact moments. Like what I try to do on dissect and now with keynotes is like, we talk about things generally speaking a lot when not with just with music, but with everything, but I'm really fascinated in just like getting really, really, really close to something, getting really down to like the minutest detail in order to really try to understand what, what's happening. And so with this episode, I was like, okay, I'm going to take the science that she tells me and try to apply it in a really granular way. So I started with um, uh, Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings with this a gorgeous piece that probably you've heard before. Um, but it's one; it's the most common one in their studies that, that have shown that people get the chills most often. So I was like, okay, that's going to be my first song. I'm going to analyze that. And then so essentially I just did a, my own Twitter survey and said, listen to this if you can. If you get chills, tell me exactly where. And it just so happened that, you know, the two most popular spots were also the spots that I got the chills. Um, and so I was like, okay, I got enough evidence here to like hone in on these two specific areas. They ended up being the exact same areas of the song, except just in a different part. Um, the, the, the same part, just in a different spot in the song. Yeah. So it's like, okay, this is leading me to, this is the moment, right? And so I went, just went through measure by measure and kind of just said, okay, here are these basic compositional techniques that in this specific piece give us chills. Okay. So we have that information now, can it translate beyond this piece? And so I just happened to be listening to, um, Olivia Rodrigo at the time and, uh, my kids love her music and I like it too, but driver's license was such a big hit. And I want, I just was like learning it on the piano and I got chills during it. My daughter got chills during it as well. She's only mm. six, which was really fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, and it just happened to be, so happened that literally every one of those things I pointed out in Adagio strings, like translated to the chorus of, of driver's license, like in a really kind of scary way. Um, so it was just like this almost like mystery, like hunt for like songs that do this. Um, and it was really fun. Like, yeah, but it yeah, just started with a basic premise of like what's happening here. And then just like kind of snowballing, just kind of allowing the episode to take me wherever it wanted to go. Um, and that's kind of my approach for, for most of these episodes. Like one that's going to come out next week is, um, it's called, does death have a sound? Um, and interesting. There's a, there's a, actually, if you listen to the episode, you're here, but it starts out that I heard this melody in Frozen over and over again. I have daughters, so mm-hmm. um, I'm, I watched Frozen 2 like a hundred times like two summers ago. Yeah. And there's this melody that Elsa sings over and over and over that's calling her. Um, and it hap- I, so I did research on it and it happens to quote this, what's called a Dies Irae melody, which is like the melody of death. It's like this 13th century melody uh, from Gregorian chant that people used to sing at funerals. And like that's, then I won't give it away, I guess, but that just led into like, okay, what can we take from this death motif essentially that's lasted 800 years and how has it infiltrated in other songs? How has it helped construct this sound of death? Um, so when people go to make a song about death, I found like five songs that like really use that 13th century melody, uh, in, in a really weird way. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of rambling here, but no, it's, it's great. That's kind of the show It's like, let me just start basic and see where it takes me. Yeah. I, I love it. Uh, it's funny. I, so I have a two-year-old daughter and I've 
seen Frozen multiple times just this week, but she, it's been cool to watch her develop a love for music. I, I kind of discovered early on as a parent that if you love music, like you want to impart that onto your child, but like you literally, all the ways that my brain would know how to do that are not ways that is going to like resonate with her at all. Exactly. And so yeah. it was actually interesting because Andrea, uh, on that first episode was talking about like the reason like baby shark is so appealing to like a two year old, which I was like, yes, my daughter loves baby shark and it's like yeah. annoying, but it makes so much sense that that cognitive development as it evolves, there's certain elements about what music and art is doing that is going to ha- like cause those dopamine reactions in different ways. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like that, that was extremely fascinating to me. Um, so I'm trying to not look forward to the point where I can like have like really deep conversations, with music about my daughter so much as like just enjoy like what her brain is um, like experiencing with, with music right now. That, that was one of my favorite parts of that episode that uh, kind of stuck out to me. But I, I want to talk about Olivia Rodrigo for a second because just on the last episode of the show, I was talking about that album and one of the things I said about driver's license is that like, I feel like so many people, I, you know, the week that it came out, it's blowing up. Everybody's talking about, I'm like, okay, I guess I need to listen to this, see what's going on. And it starts and I'm like, okay, I kind of like get what this is. I know it's probably not going to be like my thing necessarily, but I understand what's happening. And by the end of the song, I was like, Oh, that's a perfect song. Yeah. And I, but the crazy thing is, is that I, since that moment on this podcast, talking with other people i've been trying to like articulate what like what i mean when i say that and why that is and that episode of the show of keynotes like actually explains it like it it like from an elemental level of the way the song is constructed explains like here's why you have this reaction when you listen to the song but the thing about it that i guess i'm wondering is it would almost seem like if if there is like almost the scientific structure of how you can put these things together to cause this reaction which we know it can't be universal it's not like everybody's gonna have the same reaction to everything all the time but there must be some formula to create those kinds of experiences and we know that that kind of exists because pop music exists and there's a certain formularity to it but like how do you think about that of like when olivia rodrigo and and the people she's working with are in the studio and they're creating this song knowing that it's going to do those things versus like hoping that they're going to capture that lightning in a bottle element, even though they're following the playbook. I don't know if that makes sense, but no, I, yeah, I think I, like I know what you're getting going. to. It's, I mean, that's again another mystery, right? Like, okay, we know these things can do it. You know that. You know, for instance, uh, you know, the, the the big thing that gives people chills is like, you know, anticipation and then being surprised, like anticipating a climax, that climax coming, but in a bit in a way that's better than you expected. Mm-hmm. So, and there's certain musical elements like, you know, prolonged tension, high notes that kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, like, so here's, here's the ingredients of like what will give listeners a dopamine hit. So yeah, your question, it seems like is like, okay, why wouldn't every person then just use those elements to create the best song every time? Right. Right. I just think it's, you know, it's like with any art, it's like, I can look at, um, uh, you know, a, uh, Van Gogh piece and be like, oh, look, he like used blue here. And he made his paint really thick and, you know, you can like dissect it to the, to the T and say, okay, like here's everything that he did to make a great piece of art and then like try to go do it. It's like a totally different thing. Right. And 
It also has to be genuine and authentic and unique because I think we intuitively pick up on those things too. Just like we can pick up on when pop songs are kind of phony and just like you're just regurgitating what, you know, the, the, the another song that you've heard like a million times. Like, and then I think the cultural stuff really plays a part too. Like what surprises us now is going to be different than what surprised us 10 years ago. Oh, or yeah. 20 or 20 years from now so there's also this unpredictable cultural element that you can't really i mean i don't think anyone one person can really put their finger on i think some people just naturally exude and exist in that moment like olivia rodrigo is a perfect example of like a gen i think she's gen z or is, is she gen z whatever age group she yeah. is <laughs> that's obsessed with the 90s that has this kind yeah. of like kind of um detached kind of view on life and like grew up in the pandemic and like all these things like she's just she's just that person and she's also a really talented songwriter so that's that cultural aspect is just naturally in her music so i think it's just it's it's a concoction that we can't necessarily we just can never predict or else i mean if we could then we would just be like making uh ai that just did that every time and it yeah, made perfect exactly. songs every time right like it's more than that which is why like you know AI music is coming. That's definitely going to be a thing, but it'll never be on the the cutting edge. It'll never define, and it could only copy. I think, and yeah. that's just that's the that's what makes music special. That's what makes all art you know special. That's why the Beatles existed in the '60s, and they don't exist now because that was a totally different time with different influences and different moment. You know what I mean? Like it's it's yeah. every like every part about this moment and the human experience works its way into the music being created right now. And that's the unpredictable element that you can't just, you know, templatize, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's awesome. And I, you know, one of the things I talk about with this podcast and, and it's all dead, what I, what this came out of is this concept that we're all having the, this really personal experience with the music that we love. There's songs that speak to us. There's songs that move us. Um, and when we find that community of people that's also having that same experience, like that's what it, it like opens the door for this completely new, like special thing that you can have. And so there's that. But then when we talk about a song like driver's license, like every once in a while, there's these moments, there's these songs that come along yeah. that seem to yeah. encompass like all of those communities. Right. And that that's when uh, it, it's just, it's incredible. It, it really is no matter how scientific you want to break it down there there's really no game plan that you can like just guarantee something like that would ever happen. Like we obviously. Yeah. And I, that, I'll just, I'll quickly tease it. Cause this is not the last time on that episode. It's not the last time I'll talk about that song on keynotes because I left out what I actually think is the most crazy thing about that song. Mm -hmm. um, if you, have you ever heard of the thing called the golden ratio or the golden section? Yes. It's like, it has to do with like the Fibonacci sequence. And there's this like, you know, it's 61.8% uh it's this whole mathematical thing well driver's license has like i found like four golden sections in that song including when that that bridge hits is yeah. exactly the golden like to the second the golden wow. ratio of that song so i i that's another <laughs> there's another episode coming about the fibonacci sequence and and all this stuff and finding these golden moments and songs man driver's license awesome. is one of them and it's like when i You'll you'll see. It's like it blew my mind. After it's it's like yeah. incredible. On top of the the Frisian stuff, like, um. So I'm really excited about that one. I just finished but, it today, actually. So it's it's right on my mind. 
That's amazing. I, I, I can't say enough about Sour. Um, I know it's kind of like the most talked about album this year, but I, I just don't want it to like fade away it's, as the year goes on. I want it's the best album of the year. Like, this. It's great. I would never have thought a 17 year old girl would be have my favorite song or my favorite album of the year. I think it's the best album I've heard this year. Tyler, the yeah. creative new one is up there for me, but in terms of capturing a moment, I think, I think Sour got it this year and I, it's going to be hard to top. Yeah, absolutely. One last quick thing to touch on, because we've talked about like multiple genres here. And one of the things I was thinking about as I was listening to that first keynotes episode, um, you know, there's so many like moments in hip hop that have that response in me as well that have those like chill inducing moments for like a different reason than a song like driver's license did and you actually brought in a hip-hop song at the end uh from from watch the throne i do you feel like there's specific genres that are gosh how do i want to phrase this a few years ago malcolm gladwell actually did a revisionist history episode where he was talking about like why country music can make the saddest songs and that episode, like, actually, I didn't agree with a lot of it, I guess, or, or the main thesis of it, just because I, you know, I love sad songs. And I I, I know that yeah, it's yeah. not confined. It's not a country specific thing, although I understand, like, the sad country music, like, yeah, that's yeah. a thing. But it, it's a lot wider reach than that. And I think what, you know, what you're talking about here with keynotes, like, it explains that to be true. But do you feel like different genres have different ways in which they can reach those moments? Yeah, I think hip hop specifically is is an outlier because there's not a lot of emotional hip hop. I mean, there is, it's just a different emotion usually. There's not a lot of sad hip hop songs, just to be frank. You know, there are, like, don't get me wrong, there are, but that's definitely not as common as, you know, a sadder, you know, country song or pop song. Like the ballad is a ballad for a reason. and it just hasn't translated to hip hop as much. Right. So, but hip hop is also really great at capturing like motivation and just getting you kind of like amped up. And it's really rides like these highs that I don't think any other music can get you to. And so um, I think in terms of the, what we usually think of it when we get the chills is like, yeah, some emotionally arresting on the verge of tears. Um, what I call in the episode, like a beautiful sadness, right? Where it's just, you're, you're so overwhelmed with beauty and sadness that you just get these floods of emotion. And that, I think that is less to do with genre and more to do with tempo, um, tempo, key signature, you know, songs at slower tempo, at least in my research, definitely gave the chills way more commonly than up tempo mm-hmm. songs, which, you know, and up at tempo songs, things are happening really fast. Like, that anticipation that you're that that's getting good if you to crave that climax isn't as as drawn out as in it as it could be in a slower song just by the nature of the tempo of the song um but yeah you know an emotion like beautiful sadness is just one emotion that can induce chills and what i thought was fascinating that my friend titi called out she had a whole playlist of you know chills triggers that were had nothing to do with sad songs or slower yeah. songs they're all upbeat hip-hop songs and that was really fascinating to me so but it turns out like that one song that i investigate on the episode like when you when you get down to like the details and the brass tacks of that moment that gives her and i chills compositionally actually wasn't all that different from driver's license or adagio for strings it was using the same tension there was a modulation there was right. a you know a beat switch that you weren't expecting so it had all these uh, techniques that were if on paper were the exact same as 
driver's license and adagio is just expressed in a totally different way but gave the same effect for some people so and then it was interesting to then bring that to the neuroscientist andrea who i was like okay what about motivation is there any you know connection between dopamine and motivation she's like mm-hmm. yeah like you can actually define um like motivation with dopamine because you're getting like this flood like there's a goal just like you're anticipating a moment you're kind of working and working towards that now, motivation is the same thing where you're like you have a goal and you're motivated to get there and dopamine helps you kind of like get that little boost you need to get going right um and so just it was just really interesting to see how one you know those musical techniques translated from genre to genre i was very specific in why i chose a classical a pop and a hip-hop song Mm -hmm. that essentially all did the same thing in different ways and just you know kind of confirm my belief that all music is the same it just sounds different if that makes sense um and yeah just there's this a variety of experience uh i think people kind of get stuck in genres too much where it's like you know just by the nature of Olivia Rodrigo Sour, you could never say that that's a great album because you listen to this type of music and that's, <laughs> you know, that's kind of below uh-huh. your, your taste level, but it's like, no, music's the same everywhere you go. I mean, there's good and bad music and the good music can fall in any other, you know, any genre just as well as a bad music can fall in any genre. So yep. that's kind of a reason why I started dissect and, and took an a- academic approach to hip hop because I thought it was underserved in that area. And it's the same reason why in keynotes I'm trying to bring in, you know, on the next episode, it's going to have uh, Sufjan Stevens. It's going to have David Bowie. It's going to have mm-hmm. Elsa. <laughs> it's, gonna, it's, a, yeah. it's like there's all these different flavors um, that all kind of are the same thing in my mind. Awesome. Well, I think we did a show here a couple of years ago where we were uh, talking about the uh, death of genre. <laughs> We're definitely entering a different period. And the Olivia Rodrigo album is a, is a great example of like so many things kind of coming together. Um, and it's, uh, it's fun. It's fun to think about when all these lines kind of start to blur a little bit, what the possibilities are. So, yeah, I wonder, uh, I'm right. wondering if I was just, I was just wondering, I'm curious to see if like that rock sound, you know, that are on a couple of those tracks on sour mm-hmm. that inspires some more younger artists to like bring back. Cause I thought she did it really tastefully. Usually when mm-hmm. people are like playing off the the rock and roll tropes, it just sounds kind of cheesy usually. Yeah. For what it, for me at least on sour, like they sound really good. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the first time I heard a fresh take on rock, if that makes sense in a long time in a pop, yeah. in a very, in a pop way, you know, like I get, there's like a, you know, she's not doing actual rock music, I wouldn't say, but like there's that flavor that she, she's able to capture really well. And it's yeah. like, when I saw the cover of the new, she just did that live show. It was all like sour prom and she was dressed like Courtney love on the right. whole, that whole cover where uh-huh. she's holding the flowers. Yep. She essentially recreated that, that cover image. Like, Oh, that makes sense. She must love whole. And I did some research and it's like, Oh yeah, it turns out she likes whole. Yep. Um, so I was like, is her generation going to capture some of that early nineties rock sound and bring it to today? Cause I feel like we've kind of missed that rock's been yeah. kind of out of, out of date for a little while last 10 years or so I, in, at least in my mind mm-hmm. um so i'm just interested yeah. to see if this big album of 2021 is going to influence you know songs in the future yeah i mean it stands to reason right you know we saw the that 80s synth revival that kind of like took over the yep. the indie scene um yep. you know in the past decade i mean these things do come back around 
you know, the, the best thing that could come from this and, and we'll owe a debt of gratitude to Olivia Rodrigo is if we can finally, you know, shut up all of the, the, the grouchy old, like, Oh, that they don't play instruments on music anymore yeah. <laughs> uh, type of crowd, yeah. uh, which, which frequent our site uh, sometimes, by the way, I always love to see those comments when we talk about music that doesn't have a guitar in it and, uh, and somebody's not happy about that, but Hey, you know, anyone, anyone uh, that's tried to actually produce music on a computer, knows that it's fucking hard <laughs> I, know. I, I, I play guitar i play piano i'm classically trained and i also try to do music on a computer and i would say it's easily as hard as learning how to play piano so yeah i think i think it's been around long enough for people to like get over that that computer music is not just this thing you can <laughs> anyone can do it yeah. might be the learning curve in the beginning might be easier where you can tap a few buttons and make a drum beat but to actually make it good, like I can, uh-huh. you know, I can teach my daughter to play Marietta Little Lamb on the piano in probably like five minutes, but doesn't mean that she's now a piano player in the same way that someone that opens Garage Band is not just a producer. Like it takes a lot of, a lot of, st- actually a good example is like Phineas from Billie Eilish. Like mm. that dude is a wizard. He's a great musician, but he's also a wizard at making music on a computer. Like oh yeah, he is very skilled and I would, I would guess that he would say the same thing. Like there's not the difficulty level is I would say pretty equally matched. Yeah. I mean, it really, what happened is that it wasn't like this trend toward a more like digital versus analog style of creating music made more people, great artists. It was that our transition into the digital age gave a platform for people that weren't going to have it previously. So it's not like sure. there's suddenly more Billie Eilishes. It's just that the Billie Eilishes that are out there that we didn't even know about now are able to like bring their music to us. So that's kind of the way I've always thought about it. But um, but yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head there. So we got keynotes this is coming out weekly, right? Is there is this like a seasonal approach you're taking? Is there is it coming out weekly indefinitely? What's the plan on that? Yeah, the goal is is to fill the gaps between dissect seasons with keynote seasons. So I'm kind of juggling. We'll see if that's possible in the long run. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of work, but um, yeah, that's that's the goal. Is like there'll be seven or eight episodes in this, in this initial launch of keynotes, and then it'll be dissect season nine in probably September October, and then hopefully it just alternates. Um, you know, when dissects off season, keynotes will be on. So. Yeah, that's the, that's the end goal. Hopefully, so the the way you said it earlier, the coming dissect season is the one for the fans. Since the was the last one for you, it is. and this one's for the fans. Okay. Yeah, I would say yeah, season nine. I would say is I like the album definitely. I really like the album, but it's definitely probably the most requested one. So it it's definitely oh. one for the fans too. So okay, cool. Well. Cole, this has been a fascinating conversation as always. Thank you so much. You were a busy guy. Thank you for taking time to to come on our show and chat for a bit. Yeah, this is great. This is really good. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you again to Cole for joining us on the show. If you want to check out Dissect or Keynotes, uh, pull up Spotify. Check out those shows. Um, you will not regret it. If you want to learn more about our show and about It's All Dead, come visit us at It's All Dead. That is going to do it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I'm Kyle Hawk, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Long Live the Music. If you like our show, come find us on Twitter and Facebook at It's All Dead. And of course, come visit our website, itsalldead.com.